Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Every time that you join the Intentional Encourager podcast, it, it is a blessing to us. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. I'm pumped to have this conversation today with someone I just recently met, but someone that is going to blow you away with her story, what she stands for, who she is. Now, in full disclosure, I'm going to take the first 15 minutes of the podcast to introduce her because her accomplishments are lengthy in nature. She is the host of the Author to, to Authority podcast. If I could speak today, it would be great. That's, a, that's one component of a good podcast. She's the host of the Author to Authority podcast. She's an award-winning speaker, international best-selling author, the extraordinary word ninja. I've got to follow up on that. And chief visionary officer of RTI Publishing. That's River Tree International Publishing. All the way from Ontario, Canada today is my friend Kim Thompson Pender here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Kim, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I like the international part, but it's actually River Tree Inspirational Publishing. I misread that. See, reading is hard <laughs> for West Virginians. That's why we're 49th in the United States, and, and I wasn't educated in West Virginia. I was educated in Ohio, which is like 15. So, you know, if you kind of do the math and split the difference, I'm somewhere around Oklahoma in my educational level. So, well, but River like Tree, get, say that again. River Tree Inspirate, I'm inspired Based already. Based on Kim. Psalm 1, you shall be planted like the trees by the rivers of the waters. I love it. That shall it. bring forth its fruit in its season. I love it. I love it. As opposed to, as to, as opposed to my life verse, which would, I, I think is, um, well, never mind. I was going to say, you know, it's like some off-the-wall verse, like, judgment shall fall upon you, <laughs> saith the Lord, you know, that, yeah, yeah, um, be delivered and set free. That's probably my life verse, but, but it's so good to have you on today. Kim, I want to start here. I read a little bit of your story on, on your website, mm -hmm. and that's rtipublishing.com for those of yeah. you that are interested. And we talked a little bit about how you came to doing what you're doing. And we'll get into more of your life story here in just a, a little bit as we transition through the podcast. But I want to ask you about writing today and things like that. It seems like we have become a society that likes to communicate in bites. Do you think that's affected how people communicate and the way people communicate is that it's not done in letters and, and, and writings anymore. It's 240 or 280 characters on Twitter. It's something on Instagram. It's a Facebook post. How has that affected our communication and expressing ourselves? 
I think more so what's affected the communication is texting. It's a great point. Um, you know, I, I've gone places where I've seen young people sitting side by side on a park bench and they're not talking to each other, they're texting to each other. Literally sitting side by side. Texting each other. Texting each other. So let me ask you this. What in, in, in you do, language is your life. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel that, that we have dumbed down language in the ways that we've dumbed it down? Is it to make it easier for ourselves? What, what do you think when you see dumbed down language like that? And that's the only way I can, I can express it is dumbed down language. How does that, what does that do for you? And, and, and where do, how do we get away from that in, in truly getting back to a linguist society? I think it comes down to convenience. And again, the cell phone plays a big part in that. But I think what happens is, is that as a society, we want everything fast and we want everything quick. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why bother texting out a word when you can abbreviate it? Well, and, and you know, that that's a really good point that you make. And, and I had to break myself of that habit because I worked for a university and we were responsible for contacting students. And my team lead came to me and said, why are you using the, the letter U? And that's the obviously the, the synonym for Y-O-U. Yes. Like, I want to talk to you, Kim. And she said, no matter how you converse with the student in their language, and I understand you wanting to build that connecting bridge, you have to remember that we are a university and we represent a university. Yes. And when professors talk to them and things like that, when they come here, they're not going to, to use the letter U for Y-O-U. <laughs> <laughs> when I, I you see when you see styles of writing today mm -hmm. what what do you think you've been doing this a long time does it does it does it grieve you does it make you angry or or what does it do does it give you hope that we can become that linguistic society again that we once were um 60 70 80 years ago at least in, here in the united states well, I, I think, you know, linguistically, I think some things had to change because it was so strict. It was, it, in some ways, it was very confining. So in, I like the fact that today that you can express yourself in different ways. I, you still have to be grammatically good, okay? Mm -hmm. But it's not... Everything isn't as strict as it used to be. Like books used to have to be done a certain way. Mm -hmm. and, and there was no real room for, for as much creativity in there because, you know, the introduction had to be this way and the middle of the book had to be this way and the end of the book had to be that way. And when you wrote, you had to be formal. And I like the fact today that you can really put yourself into a book. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said... I get a lot of books submitted to me for editing. And one of the biggest things I see is what you call that dummy down language. Mm -hmm. 
It's what we call at RTA Publishing weak writing. It's not necessarily grammatically wrong, though, I mean, every book that comes to us to be edited, there, there's grammar issues. Mm -hmm. But that's actually not unusual. I mean, I've written over 150 books, and I still have all of my stuff edited. And my editing team goes through it with a fine-tooth comb, and they still catch stuff. There's still things. I, I still have a problem with colons and semicolons. The comma is not always my best friend. Uh, <laughs> I would tend to agree with that for myself. <laughs> yes. But um, it, it's the weak language that concerns me. It's the use of common words. There's no deliciousness in it anymore. You know, the vocabulary, like you said, is so dumbed down that it, it makes the writing, I don't want to say boring because it's mm -hmm. not boring. But it's not as elevated as it could be. There's no romanticism to the language as, as there was 100 years ago or 150 mm -hmm. years ago and things like that. Let me ask you this. If, if you were to, to, to take a Mark Twain or um, – and that, that author immediately comes to mind. And there's so many wonderful authors, Ernest Hemingway, m men and women from – 80, 100, 120 years ago, how successful would they be translating into today's culture? Because you talked about the romanticism of the language, and they were very much precise and detailed and pinpointed that every word mattered. How, how successful do you think those folks would be trying to publish their books in today's culture and society? I think they would still be successful. We still read them today. Great point. Great point. I mean, See, when you ask a good question, you get a really good answer back. <laughs> I, I, think, I think like anything else, I think some of their language and the way that they wrote would have evolved because they would have grown up in a different culture. Mm -hmm. But they, they understood the power of words. And, and that's one of the messages I love the Cheech is the power of words in your life. And it comes down to many different factors, okay? The power of the words that go through your brain, because mm -hmm. many times those words hold you back from your destiny. The power of the words that you speak, you know, the words that you speak that either bring life or death to yourself and those around you. Mm -hmm. You know, the power of the words that you write, all of those things make a difference in your life. And if you're an entrepreneur, they especially make have a, an impact on your income and, and your ability to earn money. Mm -hmm. So why don't we as a, as a business culture or as a society, why don't we put more value in the written word instead of the spoken word or the, the tweeted word or the Facebook posted word? Because it seems to me, Kim, that – and again, we're doing a podcast with video, and so it's all vocal-based. And we'll, we'll talk about that, too. But why the diminishing in the written word? Because if you ask someone to journal, journaling is a very personal, it's a very simple thing. But for, for a, a leader in a company, if they would ask their team members, hey, why don't you guys journal? It would almost be like, okay, you're asking me to lift a boulder. 
Why have we pulled back from the written word when for years the written word was exactly the way people communicated one with another? Because of technology. See, back then the written word was the technology. And there was power in it, to your point. You know, nowadays with technology, I mean, kids barely learn how to print, let alone actually cursive write. They're actually starting back here where I live to actually bring cursive writing uh, back into schools. Mm -hmm. But children are not learning how to just write with a pen and paper. You know, everything is electronic. And the other problem is our education system itself. Now, I'm not putting down teachers at all because I spent Absolutely seven not. years yeah. um, in my children's school teaching music. Okay, I saw what went on. Um, and the teachers really are not at fault. But, you know, when you've got classroom sizes that are so large, um, not the right resources and materials, they're being forced to teach all the superfluous stuff that people don't actually need as opposed to really teaching the basics. You see, at least when you and I were growing up, you know, you spent your, from grade one to grade five, learning how to read, write, add, subtract, multiply, and divide. That was your life. Mm -hmm. With a little and bit of science, a little Street. bit of history. <laughs> yeah, and we had Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood to kind of supplement <laughs> that. <laughs> you know, but that's what you spent your first four or five years in school learning to do, was read, write, add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Mm -hmm. You know, now kids... You know, they're expected by um, grade one to pretty well be writing sentences, but yet they, they're not given the basics. Like, everything's forced through so fast. These kids cannot add and subtract. Mm -hmm. You know, writing, there's, there's a huge correlation between um, English, math, and music. Mm -hmm. And so they're pushing kids through English too fast. They're not teaching them the fundamentals of math, which teaches that logical thinking. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting music, which inspires the creativity or the arts, okay? Not just necessarily music, but music because um, it teaches, it's a language, mm -hmm. okay? But even other creativity like drama and the arts and dance and things like that. So what's happening is, is these kids are not developing the skills that they need to be able to communicate effectively because they're being forced to learn stuff that they really don't need. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned music. So there's a couple things that I want to hit on there. Mm -hmm. Number one is, is that I believe that music today is, is devoid of richness. Because everybody wants to sound like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And if the voice is not perfect, then it gets auto-tuned. And so we really don't hear a lot of authenticity, mm -hmm. I believe, in vocal stylings. You don't – and I've said this. Elvis Presley is was the king of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Elvis Presley would have a hard time surviving today because somebody would try to auto-tune his voice or they would try to do something to it. And, and they would be like, well, you don't sound like this. Well, that's the reason that Elvis was unique. We just lost little Richard as, as you know, mm -hmm. an iconic performer of the, of the 50s and 60s. Yes. I, I think of someone like Jerry Lee Lewis who played the piano and sang and and, and people would be like, well, you, you can't play the piano and sing. And it took someone like Alicia Keys. 
Now, my brand of music, I, I like quartet singing. I like Southern gospel quartets. A very minute percentage of people like Southern gospel quartets. So I use the popular mm-hmm. music of today and, and the popular music of, you know, that was classic mm-hmm. back in the 70s and 80s when I grew up. But my point is, there's no individualism. I think to your point, Kim, one, have we lost the individualism in communication in our world? And secondly, how does the harmonies around music translate to the harmony of communication and writing? I think music in general inspires. Mm-hmm. So when you hear music, it does something deep down in your soul. And so, you know, music, whether it's just a melody line, I mean, how many times, like, you can just start singing, amazing grace. I mean, you know, everybody knows that. And and just one person can sing it, and it's powerful, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you add the richness of harmony to it, what happens is, is that it just, it ministers to you. For me, I love modern Christian worship music, though I listen to all kinds. I listen to classical. I still love a lot of the 80s and music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's just really powerful in terms of what it does for you. But I think uh, I think one of the big things that's lost in the music is the messaging. Mm-hmm. You know, that- the, mes- the messages aren't strong anymore. Mm-hmm. And the messages are telling kids that they, they're not good enough. They're not, you know, the, the music doesn't inspire them to become more. The music puts them down. Or be like somebody else that, that has a better life than you. And, mm-hmm. and you should, you know, your life isn't good enough compared to theirs. And I love what you said about harmony. Because I have told people, I've been fortunate enough to sing in a quartet, in a men's quartet, for the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's something magical there's something undescribable when four guys get together and they blend their voices in harmony yeah and i'm saying in mixed trios i've sang in choirs and things like that they're all beautiful but there's just something unbelievable i can't describe it kim it's hard to to put into words and i'm not being chauvinistic i'm just saying four guys that bring their voices together that to me, there's just some, there's nothing like it. I have well, I have experienced very few things like it in my life. I think that's because, see, when you're when you're singing to God and four men are singing to God together, it's a powerful thing. And you know, again, this isn't this isn't about chauvinism, but you know, I think sometimes men have been told for so long that they're not enough that they've started to believe it and it's become a part even a part of their christian walk so when you have strong godly men who stand up and will worship and praise the lord together mm-hmm. there it's not just the music it's the power of god on top of it your faith is very important to you and obviously you named your company river tree international 
Did I say that correctly? In inspirational. Inspirational. I'm going to, by the time this is over, <laughs> by the time this is over, I'll get it right. It may take me 825 times to get it right. <laughs> but I, I'm sorry, I live in West Virginia. What can I say? But nope, no excuse. No River excuse. Tree Communication in includes listening, you know. It does. It does. <laughs> yes. Yes. Correcting the host. Yes. That's very good. <laughs> I love it. I love this. I love this lady. She is so she is so cool. River Tree Inspirational. Yes. I'm gonna make sure I get it right. <laughs> when you think about where and, and I wanna now I want to get into your journey for just a, a, a few minutes. Could 18-year-old Kim have envisioned that the Kim of your your lifetime now would be doing what you were doing, or did you always want to set out to to be a writer? What what was the early years for Kim like in your life? Well, my story really starts at four uh, when my mother passed away from cancer. And, uh, you know, we're coming up to Father's Day soon. And, you know, my dad's been gone for many years now. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, he had a tough decision to make. Uh, it was 1970s. I'm half black, half white. So my dad's black. Um, you know, first of all, it was very unheard of for a man to raise two girls on his own, let alone a black man to raise two girls on his own. Mm -hmm. And uh, my father's attitude was simply these are my girls i'm going to raise them you know either help me or i can't really use the language here so i'll just say go take a flying leap mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that was my dad's attitude and so my dad raised me uh, my stepmom my dad started dating my stepmom at 14 so for 10 years it was just me my dad and my sister mm -hmm. and it was hard Okay, my dad was an amazing man, okay, so I don't have one of these stories, you know, where my mom dies and my dad's this abusive drunk, okay, my dad was anything but. Right. But it was really hard growing up without a mom. Mm -hmm. It made me different. First of all, being half black, half white in the pretty well all white community with maybe only one or two black people, I stuck out like a sore thumb. I didn't have black hair, like my hair, okay. This is chemically straightened right now. Okay? <laughs> so and is this, by the way. No, I'm not. I, I don't know if um, if the if the video will be shown, but if you want to see what I look at, watch the video. So that's me as a child. I had a red afro. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. so. You were a beautiful child even then. <laughs> and, but and, and let it me made say me this. different. I I understand that because I have, I have a niece and two nephews that are biracial. Mm -hmm. My sister, my my sister's white, and and the the children's father is black, and they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, my I saw my niece the other day, and 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 she's got this this amazing curly hair. I'm like, girl, <laughs> you're like a little Beyonce, you know. <laughs> But, but but growing up without a mom and your dad being the influence in your life, what type of female influences were you looking for to help guide you along your way? Oh, I was desperate for a mother. I was desperate for a mother. And in grade two, I had a female teacher. And 
she was beautiful and she was smart and you know she was nice and she was a teacher which is what i wanted to be growing up and so i used to envision that she was my mom i figured my dad was going to marry her she'd move in with us i mean i think she was probably married but i, I don't really know but i would imagine that she was going to come home and be my mom and so i really wanted to impress her and in grade two, an interesting thing happened. I could write sentences. And from the time I was little, I've had a very vivid imagination. I, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't have a vivid imagination. So in grade two, I started to write all the stories that I had been picturing in my head. And I remember the first time I brought it to my teacher and, and I, I gave it to her. And, and she read it and she told me it was good. Well, that was all my seven-year-old little grieving heart needed. And mm. so I started writing all the time. I mean, every day I was handing this poor woman pages and pages and pages and pages and pages because I wanted that feminine affirmation. I wanted a woman to tell me that I was good, mm -hmm. right? It's not that my dad didn't tell me these things, but I needed to hear it from a woman as well. And so what happened is I over emotionally overwhelmed that poor woman. And I'm pretty sure back in the late sixties, probably when she went to teacher's college, they did not have a course on um, how to work with grieve grieving seven-year-old little girls. Oh, absolutely not. I I'm sure there wasn't. And I mean, it wasn't just the fact I was handing her stories. I mean, I was emotionally attached to her and mm. she did not know how to deal with it. So one day she came up to me and she said, Kim, you need to stop writing. You're not a good writer. Mm. And those words crushed me. Mm. Now, here's the thing. I carried those words with me for 30 years subconsciously. And I didn't write for 30 years. I mean, okay, I wrote in the sense that I did all my schoolwork. I actually did pretty good in English. I graduated high school. You know, I wrote when I needed to, but I didn't write from my heart. You know, mm. I didn't write the stories. I didn't write the things that I was passionate about. You know, I wrote the things I had to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, those words were, became a part of here and they became a part of my heart. And when I started my writing journey, I had to let go of those words because I couldn't write until I did. And so I did a lot of soul searching in that time when I was first starting to write. And I realized a few things. First of all, I realized the part I played in her saying those words to me. Mm -hmm. I know how emotionally desperately needy I was. Mm -hmm. And I did. I overwhelmed the poor woman. So was it right what she said? No. But... I think looking back on it, she'd been trying to gently tell me to back off and she just didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And of course I wouldn't, I wasn't going to hear her because mm -hmm. my heart desperately just wanted that love and affection. Well, how would the power of her words then have, you talked about the power of words a few minutes ago mm -hmm. and to a grieving little seven-year-old girl, the power of her words could have just sent you the other way and maybe in her and, I'm, and, and I don't know. I'm just trying to, mm -hmm. to, to kind of put myself in that moment and say, okay, how does – because grief is such a powerful thing. Now, yes. I, lo I lost my dad 
seven, almost eight years ago at 40. And, you know, there are times that, that I probably didn't grieve the correct way, Mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't, I didn't show emotion. And so again, it's, everybody grieves in different ways and, and the power of her words could have done that. But ultimately the power of her words, when she did say something to you, repressed that desire in you. Do you remember the moment that you began to unlock that repression? And I want to fast forward before we come back because I think it's important because there may be somebody listening to this that has a similar experience and said, I know exactly what you're talking about, Kim. I did the same thing. What was that unlocking moment for you when you finally unlocked that after 30 years? Well, at that point, you know, I was married, I had kids, but I was also an entrepreneur and I had a desire to help other people. And back in 2011, I had an opportunity to get a website done for a price I could afford. And I jumped on it. And I remember receiving an email from the gentleman who was doing it. And he said, oh, by the way, your website comes with a blog. I emailed him back. What's a blog? (laughs) I had no clue. That was a great question to ask him. (laughs) And then he wrote me back. Well, you write articles and posts. I don't remember what the rest of that email said. Because as soon as I saw that, the words were, you're not a good writer, you should not write. Oh, my. Started coursing through me. But I also realized, and I knew it was God. I Mm. knew I was at a crossroads. And I had a decision to make. Because I was either going to have to cancel the website or I was going to have to write. Mm. And I, I did a lot of soul searching. And to be honest... You know, there was about 70% of me that just wanted to quit, that that didn't want to write. But there was that still small voice of God saying, Kim, you're not that seven-year-old little girl anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I started revisiting back that time. And as I, I thought about it and remembered, I realized the role that I played. And I also started to recognize, and God revealed to me, that she didn't really mean those words. She just didn't know how to deal with me. Hmm. I wasn't a bad writer. She just emotionally needed the break Hmm. and did not know how to communicate that to me. And so I got to the point where I had to forgive her and forgive myself. I also recognized that I'm not that seven-year-old little girl anymore, that I am capable of learning. So Hmm. maybe I might not be the best writer but I can put together a coherent sentence or two. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision that I was going to write a blog post. Took me three days, about 50 pieces of crumpled paper, because back then I wrote everything on paper and then typed it into the computer. I don't do that anymore. That's a very long process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And after three days, I, I put it up on my website and I asked a couple of people to read it. And they really liked it and it helped them. It helped them in their business. And so I just started writing blog posts, Mm -hmm. lots and lots of blog posts. And then the scary moment came when I realized I had books in me. 
And I was excited and I was also afraid. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a book. But I didn't have money for courses. So, you know, I'd buy $7 little courses here and there and, you know, $20 courses when I could. But, you know, most of the courses I needed were $1,000, $2,000, $3,000. Well, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And so six months later, I still hadn't written a word and I was ready to quit. In fact, I was a hairbreadth away from just throwing it all away because I was so frustrated. I just, I was like, I can't do this anymore, God. I just can't do this anymore. You know, mm -hmm. you, you've put this desire in my heart to write a book and I haven't even written a word. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, God has a funny way of doing things. He just said to me, he says, that's okay, Kim. He says, I just want you to write down all the ideas you've been thinking about for a book. Just, just write them all down. And I thought, well, I could do that. And if nothing else, I'll have blog post topics for like the next five years. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and that's what I did. For, for three weeks straight, I just wrote down every single idea I'd had that I, uh, that I wanted to put into a book. And I mean, I was even writing at night. I had a, a pen and paper beside my bed, and I didn't want to wake my husband up, so I wouldn't turn the light on. I just grabbed the pen and paper, and in the dark, I'd be writing on this, this piece of paper, and in the morning, I'd look at it, and it'd be like curved and all over the place, and sentences would cross over each other, and... Um, but what happened was at the end of three weeks, I sorted out all these ideas and all I did was just sorted them into categories. And that's when I realized the problem. I had three books I wanted to write, not one. That's why I couldn't figure out what I wanted to write about because there's three books I needed to write. And so within the next about nine months, I actually wrote and published all three of those books. Mm. Wow. Was that... And, and I want to transition because in, in the podcast, I, I asked someone, what's the biggest obstacle you've overcome? And you've overcome a lot of obstacles, and we've, we've talked about it in this conversation. Losing a mom early on, having the, carrying self-doubt about what you were destined to do for so many years. In your mind, what was the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome in your life to get to the point that you are at today because when i see you you coach people to go for for what they want to do you when you when you coach and talk with people you're like you've got books and you go for it but what was the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome yourself in getting to that process three pounds of gray matter sitting in my skull biggest obstacle was me wow and what i thought about myself and what i believed about myself that was my biggest obstacle see people sometimes they think oh well i don't know how to do this and i don't know how to do that and and here's the thing those are just skills mm -hmm. and if you can learn to do anything you can learn a new skill mm -hmm. but if you don't believe that you can you never will. Hmm. Wow. When you talk to people, and I want to finish with this, and you've been so gracious with your time. Thank you so much. There, 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 there's more conversations. There's more podcasts that you and I could have <laughs> just from this. 
when you talk to people and you encourage them, because mm -hmm. I see that side of you, you're, you're like me, you're an intentional encourager. You, you want to encourage people. Yes. What is, what is Kim's biggest piece of intentional encouragement to folks? You were created to make a difference in somebody's life and probably more than one person's life. And I think the best encouragement that I can give you is to figure out who you were created to be and who you were created to help. Once you figure out those two things, you're, you can't be stopped. And to recognize that you were not created to be everything to everybody, but you were created to be something to somebody. And you know what? That can be many different things. Maybe you're a mom listening to this, a stay-at-home mom. I chose to stay at home for many years with my kids because I grew up without a mom. My husband, his, both of his parents worked. He spent a lot of time with babysitters. So when we had our kids, I chose to stay home because my, not because I was the woman, but because my husband had a lot more earning potential than I did. We, we had that discussion. My husband would have been happy to stay at home if I could have earned more money than he could. Mm -hmm. But I chose to stay at home. And you know what? If you're at home with your kids and that's your role right now, I know it's hard. Oh, especially right now. I know it's hard. But here's the thing. The investment that you make in your kids is probably the best investment that you'll ever make. Because you know what? No amount of money can replace the love that you give your kids and what you pour into your kids. My kids are grown now. They're, they're 28 and 26. And I am so proud of the amazing adults that they have become. And I sacrificed to pour into my kids first to make them the adults that they are now. Now, God played a big role. God was very faithful because my husband and I made a lot of mistakes. But investing in your kids is probably one of the best things you can ever do in your life. And it's hard when they're little, but you reap the rewards when they're an adult. And you know what? Maybe you have a very non-glamorous job, but you do that job faithfully. And you reach out to the people you were given to reach out to. And you're kind, and you're nice, and you're generous. That makes a difference. Hmm. Very and well. it's not a difference that the world sees, but it is a difference God sees, and he does reward those who encourage others. Wow. So good. What a way, what a great way to end. I love that. Thank you so much, Kim Thompson Pinder, for that awesome encouragement. Um, River Tree Inspirational <laughs> is her company. Yes. River Tree Inspirational. I'm going to say it again. So I got it right. River Tree Inspirational. Kim Thompson Pinder, tell folks how they can find you, get in touch with you, find your resources. Maybe they have a book inside of them and they want to work with you. The floor is yours. Tell people about River Tree Inspirational. So, if you want more information about book writing, go to rtipublishinghouse.com. And on there, there is a contact form that you can fill out to have a one-hour conversation with me about your book. 
Um, and that's, you know, whether you just want to write it yourself, whether you want it ghostwritten, maybe you're just thinking about it and you just need some help and support. I am here for you. I'll gladly donate an hour of my time uh, to help you see your dream come true. But one of the best ways is on Facebook, Kim Thompson Pinder. Uh, I'm the only one. And you can also check out uh, my the author to authority group. So everything is, is falling under the author to authority brand. So if you go to author to authority.com, you'll see the podcast there. You can also get a free sample of my book that's coming out, which is called author to authority. Um, it's going to be a, a three to four part series. That's going to be coming out over the next two years and uh, teaches you everything from first of all, the power of becoming an authority in your business. And then how do you use that book to gain authority in the six key areas um, you know, book two is going to be about writing books. So I've got a whole series planned. How do you launch a book, uh, your speaking career, a whole bunch of different things that I've got planned, but you can find that all at author authortoauthority.com. The books aren't written yet, but you can get a free sample of the first book and listen to the podcast. I bring some really amazing experts on who love to share who love to make a difference in people's lives and are willing to share the good meaty stuff that you need in your business. And yes, by the way, Brian's going to be on really soon. Yes, I am. And thank you. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> well, it, again, I, I will not be nearly the guest that Kim has been this morning. Kim, you have been, Absolutely incredible. I am so glad that you allowed me to tell part of your story here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I think there's a part two of this thing coming. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying there might be a part two coming <laughs> where, we, where we get into more of Kim's story. But phenomenal. Uh, again, um, take the time to go connect with Kim and get a, get a hold of our resources. And who knows? Maybe Kim helps you write a book that we get to talk about here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Kim Thompson Pinder, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Blessings to you and your family. And again, thank you for being on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been an honor. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day of his world. And until next time, remember everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.